0: Research for What?
1: Hello, and welcome to Research for What, the podcast that discusses scientific research, its purpose, and impact. I'm your host, Ron Bouvray. Each week, I will interview recognized thought leaders who share the same passion for science and research and invest their energy, time, or money. We will talk about the challenges and opportunities for research. I'm also very keen to find out how experts define impact and what methods they use to measure it. Every week, I will ask the question, research for what? In this episode, I'm very pleased to speak with Melina Georgiosakis. Melina started a professional career as a research officer and got a PhD from the University of Queensland. Today, she also works as a policy and research manager for the Bupa Health Foundation. In 2014, Melina founded Franklin Woman, an Australian women's organisation for women working in health and medical related careers. Menina, thank you very much for being with us today.
0: Thank you, Ron. Really excited.
1: Can I start by asking you why you founded Franklin Women and why we need it today?
0: Oh, yes. Wow, it takes me back that question, but um so 2014 was qu- quite a while ago relative to where we are now. Um but I was sort of at a real pivotal point in, in my own career within the health and medical research sector. So I followed a very traditional uh, academic career path. I did a science degree, honours, and my PhD with UQ and QIMR. Um, and I was really thinking about where I use my skills next. Um, and I knew in my heart that I didn't want to follow a purest academic career, but I still wanted to improve health outcomes. But I had no idea where I could use my skills and what opportunities there were. So once I started a new gig um, doing health policy down in Sydney, I realized there was an opportunity to sort of connect uh, women working in really diverse roles uh, within the health and medical research sector and um, general uh, health outcomes uh, and also give us some really important skills outside of our technical sciences. And so I ne- I needed that myself and nothing existed. So I started Franklin Women for, for that exact reason. And, um, yeah, the rest is history, as they say.
1: Underrepresentation of women in research and science, has been described for many, many years. It was already true in 2014. It was yeah. true before that and it's still true now. W- why Why is that?
0: Yeah, that's it's a, another really good question. And, you know, to be honest, when I started Franklin Women, the gender equity conversation, or I guess the main, that as the sole driver wasn't really what pushed me to start Franklin Women because I guess, you know, I was just doing my science and I wasn't really aware of that conversation and it was only when I Sort of did a bit of a search when I was going to launch the organisation and, and looked a bit more into, you know, me as a female in the sector and, and what I was lacking. Um, that I realised that I, I wasn't on my own and some of the unique challenges that I was facing. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, in the sector independent of who you are, whether what your gender is, but a lot of them are specific to challenges that uh, people who identify as women uh, that they specifically feel. And the more I dug into that, I just realised, oh my gosh, so a lot of it is systemic, so they're into the system. Um, You know, uh, we have a traditionally science was a male-created discipline and, and system, and so over time, a lot of the structures that were created in science have persisted, even though who makes up science professions has evolved with time, So they sort of needed to, the system has to change a bit. But um, all of it is societal and cultural, and, and there's a number of layers. And, and us as individuals, and um, there's still a lot of, you know, stereotypes about how women um, behave, um, which are still true. Like not putting our hand up um, for opportunities, or maybe taking a lot, a lot of responsibilities that aren't um, the technical one. Just by default, we mentor others and are super collaborative, which might not be valued in that. Act archaic system i guess um and a lot of that has been cultured so there's a few little pieces that i realize need to come together for change um franklin women isn't solving all of them but hopefully um i guess in the last five years i've seen that it's you know we've, we've done a little bit to try and nudge it in the right direction
1: so we talked about this before what are the challenges and you know that you faced when you started and are they the same now
0: uh, yeah, so I guess I was feeling a lot of the challenges when I was doing um, my research that, you know, everyone will identify with. And I don't think they're any different, if, you know, taking cover aside, you know, it's the funding, it's the publications, um, it's, you know, promotions, all of these metrics that mm. I needed to put under my belt to succeed uh, and I was finding them real, really tough in the climate when I was uh, a researcher, and, you know, when I speak to a lot of my peers, um, I think they're the same challenges, which are almost worse now, uh, as it gets even more competitive, and um, then there's that extra layer that um, being a woman, and, you know, I was taking, getting ready to take career breaks and start a family, um, you know, a lot of those metrics for competitiveness, um, I guess I was, you know, ultimately disadvantaged because I was taking career breaks and at that time a career break wasn't really, um, there wasn't processes to document that, so any, you know, that relative to opportunity consideration wasn't taken into account, so, you know, the challenges are the same, but I think there's a lot more awareness now and, um, you know, they're not perfect, but there have been a lot of changes in the system to try and address them, but, you know, we've got a bit to go. But, we're, you know, the fact that they're uh, being spoken about now and acknowledged is a big change because no one would dare mention it when I was doing my PhD back in 2010.
1: So is it, is it enough just to speak about the challenges? What do you try and do no. attracting women to solve the problems?
0: Yeah, that is a good, right, but it's like it's a process and, you know, I get, I do get frustrated, I have to say, now when things become a big talk fest, but then I have to remember that I'm a bit further along in the journey because if we, if you don't discuss it first, I guess there is no action. So, you know, part of that behavioural change process, the first is awareness and um you know, we back then, there was no awareness of a lot of the gender-based biases that were happening, um, both in scientific research, but also for women in their careers. And now those conversations are happening, and they've been happening for a long time. But a women's perspective, I guess we're quite grassroots. And, you know, there's no point, I've found, for our organisation to talk about the issues anymore, because uh, we really are there um, for a community of women working across the sector, so they know firsthand. Uh, what the issues are. So I, I really try to um, make our events and initiatives very forward thinking um, and about, you know, okay, these are some of the barriers that exist. Great. We all know they're there. What can we do as individuals to get a leg up around them, but also to maybe have a bit of a ripple effect and, and change them as well. So we try and do a lot of professional development events um, outside of science uh, skills. So we know our science well, but Maybe we're not as great with tooting our own horn or using social media to promote our research and building collaborations or to strategically network um, or to be more innovative and debunk what that actually means. So that's what we've been doing along with some really productive things around mentoring um, and, you know, helping our leaders to be more inclusive as well. And that's been actually really rewarding.
1: So as you know, this podcast isn't about Just women. It's about research and what we can do to improve research. Can you tell me why your work is not just going to benefit women, but actually research broadly?
0: Yes. Oh, that's something that I'm I'm very (laughs) passionate about, and and you know the the conversation with you is um, that I've had so far is sort of where it came about because you know I'm a female professional working in the field, but the more You know, I've been on my own journey myself. You know, I'm a a researcher um, and so, you know, the gender equity conversation was not something, like I said, I was really privy to. And as I've been learning more about it, I realised, you know, having um, teams that, um, you know, have a high representation of women is, you know, the equitable and right thing to do because we actually have a high proportion of women coming into health and medical research careers. So you really, why are we losing them? So Mm. let's keep them going at the same rate as our male peers, but actually it's better for our science because it not just comes from gender equity, but Having diverse people around the table is just producing better outcomes and there's a a lot of evidence emerging for that in other sectors. And now there's a real focus on evaluating gender equity uh, initiatives within uh, our sector because, you know, in the last few years they've been really ramped up to actually think, okay, how successful are they achieving this idea of diversity, but also not just around gender but other minority groups. And when you have those different experiences around the table and making decisions about science to improve health outcomes, you're actually having decisions that are reflective of the community as a whole, because anyone who can walk outside knows that the Australian population isn't um, just this traditional older um, white male, which, uh, what you know, the leadership within science really had been for a long time. So how can it not be good for science in our community?
1: So You talked about initiatives. Do you now know which, I see a lot of initiatives out there at a local level, at a national level, international level. Um, Do we now know better what works and what doesn't work? Not just to improve gender equity, but
0: diversity? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's another really good question. And I think we're uh, there's also an evolution happening now. Um, So, you know, this is, like I said, those who have been having these conversations for a long time probably feel like they've been having them for a long time around, you know, we need to improve diversity, we need to have an inclusive sector and there's gains for that. But really, there's probably only been in the last four or five years that we're really getting a lot of traction in our sector and that's because there's been grassroots initiatives like Franklin Women um, and a lot of other organisations and individuals who have popped up and really just started doing things because they knew it was needed because no one else was doing it. And I really applaud them because I'm one of them. But we started seeing this top-down attention to it from peak bodies like NHMRC, the Academy of Science, and um, the Australian government putting funding towards initiatives like the um, Athena SWAN or the Science and Gender Equity Initiative. So now that they are happening, the conversation is now being moved you know, away from let's do something and let's start having action to people taking action. And now we've we've been um, moving the conversation to okay, so now there's action. What is working? And let's start evaluating these um, so that we actually can get some empirical data to say where should we be diverting our our funds, our resources, and our attention. Are there things that we can scale up and, and roll out for the biggest impact?
1: Do you think these are initiatives people are more likely to follow knowing that they have been evaluated and they will achieve some outcome?
0: Look, I, th- I think we're, um, our sector in particular, being uh, you know, academic scientists, we love mm-hmm. data and evaluations mm. are, part of, um, are part of what we do. We want evidence to inform what we do. So I think if we start to have some evidence that we can communicate to people and say, you know what? Um, the investment in this gets these sorts of returns for the individuals, but also the organisations and the community, which is that conversation that you were saying is, well, what does it mean for research and its outcomes? And if you can start having those conversations on those three layers um, and building that evidence base, I think how could people, um, particularly those who may be a little bit hesitant that that um, the investment in, I guess, gender equity or broader diversity is a waste of time um you know when we have some empirical data i think people have to start paying attention and we've seen that happen in other sectors you know if you think about the business sector um commercial not just doing good to feel good and when when they've now shown that there's actually a business case for this diversity and it brings in more money well then everyone they're, they're happy to adopt it so i think we need to have that conversation here as well
1: Mm. So that's to convince the top. What I see is also quite a strong demand now coming from our staff and students and who are asking organisations what they do about diversity, gender equity. So there is a strong demand now from people to, yeah. to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right. And that also because I'm quite compassionate about, you know, if we want to start having this conversation about evaluation, then somebody needs to support they need to. If, if it's if it's considered important, then someone needs to actually think it's important enough to fund it. And so now, if um, individuals or organisations or uh, or even bigger like sectors are getting funds to deliver initiatives, and I think funders also um, need to value funding and evaluation of that because you know a lot of people are doing great stuff because they believe in it and they're filling a gap. Um, and. And that's that grassroots, there's a need. So people are asking for it. And, you know, for a lot of things that maybe there is an evaluation data, but people actually get something out of it, then I feel like they're probably not going to say no, because it's filling a gap and it's meeting a personal need. So we do need that data to start coming, but Mm. I don't think it it, in the interim needs to shut down everything that doesn't have evidence for it straight away, because sometimes impact is beyond a, a systematic review. It can be quite personal.
1: So that's interesting. Also, funding or funding agencies evaluate individuals, right? So, mm-hmm. how do we evaluate? Do we evaluate the system or the impact on the system that initiatives like Franklin Women have?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And so the um, the Australian Women in STEM Ambassador Lisa Harvey-Smith has uh, started doing uh, actual research, um, leading some research around gender equity initiatives, and they've launched a framework which is really great because it's taking the burden off a lot of these maybe under, you know, gender equity typically is an under-resourced um, activity that many organ um, individuals pursue and also organisations in science, mm. you know, they're struggling to fund their science and this is now something extra um, mm. which is good for them and they know it's right to do but it's something else they've got to resource. And so the fact that um, someone at this level has produced a framework that now, uh, a lot of organisations, whether they are grassroots, government or, um, or within an institute, can actually adopt and apply it to um, the activities that they're doing so that can actually easily start to, to measure the impact at all levels. And Franklin Women has just uh, recently, uh, we are uh, all very um, grateful for a collaboration with the George Institute for Global Health and one of our team members, Dr. Amy Vesalo, is um, leading an evaluation, a formal evaluation of our mentoring program and, and using a logic framework, an actual evaluation method to, to describe the impact that it's having on the participants, but also to predict what impact it's having on the sector. And um, so far, we've got some early data and it's quite exciting. But yeah, individual and on its own is important, but then what do we hypothesize that ripple effect will be on changing the culture of our sector then that's the next layer but um, it's sort of long term so you need to follow that
1: what approach do you have are you are you a bad cop or a good cop i'm a good cop that's my,
0: my <laughs> I'm a, I'm, that's my mou i'm um, i we need, we need both, I have to say, and uh, I don't think there is one approach or one initiative that's going to solve this issue, and I um, I feel really empowered and inspired when I see the bad cops, but my approach, I hope, complements that, and I'm definitely a good cop. In um, I, t- I tend to use the word sleuth advocacy because, you know, I understand that this concept could be daunting for, or overwhelming um, or even just uh, considered silly for a lot of people depending on where they are in the, their understanding of diversity and inclusion and I, or in their own careers. You know, if you're just trying to swim and get your PhD done and then, you know, this is just another thing to think about. And and um, when you don't really understand its relevance, like it's taken me five years to really get it. And so with Franklin Women, particularly for our events or our initiatives, I tend to not start the conversation with people that... Frank Women is a gender equity organisation because I guess maybe not everyone identifies with that, but when I have the conversation that this is something that will help you in your career and build you some um, strong networks or for leaders in our sector, whether they're male and female, um, it can be to teach them valuable skills on mentoring and leadership. Then they come in with that, but they leave... With, uh, I guess, a new understanding that maybe they wouldn't have had if I had started that conversation otherwise. So that's our approach, and it's worked well. And I think it complements a lot of the others that are going on there.
1: Often in the conversations, I find being a man, I find males are absent. Is that your observation as well? And yeah. why why is it?
0: <sighs> yeah, it is. It is, and it's um, it's frustrating, but I can. I can understand somewhat why that has happened to date, but I do see it changing um, because I think the conversation is changing and there's a a lot of different pressures. So, you know, because of the barriers that have been happening and and the hard slog that has been felt by women, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it, that the people who are coming together and talking about it at first were women because Mm. they're the one who's been personally impacted by it. So they're like, hey, this is hard, this is tough, I need some support or are you feeling the same thing or even just questioning it like am I making this up in my head? Is there something wrong with me? You know, when, when I started Franklin Women and and our primary purpose was to connect other women to provide a bit of a support network and to have those conversations because even I wasn't sure if this was something I was making up in my head. <laughs> um, but, you know, as time has evolved and now there's, Enough evidence to say that you know it isn't something that women are imagining these challenges are real, and you know organizations like the NHMRC and the Academy of Science are putting at the forefront of funding conversations and asking people to talk about their teams and and how do they um, think about gender and other minority groups and when the leaders of these teams are uh, you know I, I guess it's fact um typically male um, but you know that's changing then now it's sort of not just becoming about women it actually impacts everyone working in, in the sector and um, I guess now more men are being pulled on into the conversation probably not enough like you're saying and I guess maybe we've got to get a little bit better at changing the narrative because it's it shouldn't be us versus them it it needs to be everyone working in the sector and how do we make it a sector where everyone feels valued and that they want to and they are able to contribute the best that they can but also together how are we going to produce the best science and it needs to be both men and women at all career levels um, to say okay to have the best science we need the best people and we need different perspectives and the metrics for best people isn't just publications and the different perspectives are going to come if I don't have everybody on the team that looks and sounds and speaks and experience life like me. Um, and so you're right, that isn't just a conversation for women now, that's a conversation for everyone. And I get hum I find it humbling the more times I go to a meeting and particularly with Franklin Women now, so many organizations have got behind us and the CEOs are sitting around at some of our leaders' lunches and and having a conversation sort of saying how they're changing their behaviour and how they're taking action. And, you know, I I like to see that evolution happening.
1: It sounds to me like you need to have quite a few narratives up your sleeves. What's the hardest, to try and convince indiv- individuals or organisations?
0: It depends uh, because it's the individuals within the organisation, <laughs> I mm. think. You know, you you can have a productive conversation with an organisation if they have the right people listening. Or if you're if you're speaking to the the people uh, right, if that makes sense, mm. and I'm been really fortunate that there's you know there's uh, uh, about ten organisations at least within Sydney who have uh, backed frank women and become our academic partners because they've seen value in what we do, but also they see value in listening to what we're learning being grassroots. You know, people can have. You know we hear a lot different things when we have an event. Um, it's a trusted sp- space. um people feel connected, they can have they can say things that they probably don't feel as comfortable saying within their organisations. And so we have a great relationship with our academic partners because each of their directors or executive leaders um, at the top believes in what we're doing and get it. And I think you know I've learned from our experience that's because we've had really great conversations with people within their teams who have fed it up and so whether it's HR managers, whether it's postdoc, whether it's um, heads of the SAGE teams, uh, they start feeding up the conversation to their leaders and I've had feedback that it's because often a number of our events have made them feel more confident or that they've got allies or feel supported um, and then they can have those conversations up as well. So, you know, to have to get organisations on board, I think it's it's really because of the individual.
1: In your personal career, knowing the challenges you faced now, yeah, what would you say to you know yourself, your twenty-year-old self? What so you know? What I'm asking you is, what would you say to a young scientist, a yeah. young researcher? Is it is it worth it? Do we have their back now?
0: You know what I'd say? Have your own back, because I wanted. Everybody else to have my back. I wanted everyone else to say to me that, you know, leaving the lab was the right thing to do, or that, you know, it wasn't because you're a failure, or, you know, there are opportunities for you. I was looking for everyone else to validate that for me, even though I knew it inside. So I wish if I just had my own back and my own, had the confidence to say, this is what I know, and this is. What I want to do, and this is how I can make a difference. And it might not be what the person's next to me doing, but it's the right thing for me. If I had the confidence to believe in myself, I probably would have taken a jump a lot sooner.
1: That's interesting, and I don't want to um, do two sense philosophy here, but do you think that's a difference between males and females? Males are more confident and have their own back more than females.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, I do actually because. Um, you know, there's a, there's a really good example that often gets thrown around, and I identify with it myself. But you know, you talk about a job descriptions. Mm. Um, you know, quite often there's a number of papers that talk about. Uh, when they've got the, 10, the 12 um, requirements to do this job. And uh, typically, a male will read the job advert and say, oh, I've got six of these, that I can do it. Um, whereas I know myself, if mm-hmm. I didn't have all 12, there is no way that I would apply for that job <laughs> because I didn't meet all the criteria. Um, so it was having you know the confidence to back yourself. And it's really funny because some early data from our mentoring evaluation, we um, our uh, Our partners at the George Institute did some qualitative interviews with some of the mentors and mentees. And the theme, the recurrent theme that kept coming out is that over the course of the program, working with Surrendous, who are the leadership consultants who um, deliver the content, um, it was confidence. Every single one that we interviewed said, I had the confidence to use my voice, to put my hand up, to give it a go. And the mentor said, I saw this change in confidence. I tried to support them to have more confidence. And, you know, that was not something that we specifically asked or looked for in the evaluation. Um, That came out through our our interviews. And, um, yeah, it was quite stark and I was really surprised that that confidence uh, outcome was unsurprising but surprising at the same time.
1: That's a good point. Do you have any advice for young researchers, young scientists to find Mm -hmm. that confidence how can they find the right mentor or the right right organisation for them?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because um, you're in a privileged position and I acknowledge that if you are able to look for a, a person or an organisation and choose them, right? Everyone's so lucky at the moment to have a job and to have funding and we get into this narrative that, Well, we are so lucky, and it is so competitive that if we have a job, then we just accept the good and the bad. And I completely understand that because, you know, personally, I've got a mortgage and everything else that you need to to take care of. But you know, over time, if if I've really started to think about that value piece, and does the individual that I work with or the organisation that I work with align with me and my values and my aspirations and what I want to do and if it doesn't you know it's not always easy to walk out the door and find the one that does Um, but you know start having conversations to people to see how you how you can change it or how you can um, I guess work with others to change how they influence you and and so finding a mentor is really um, I've had a few over the course of my career Uh, I didn't even know what a mentor was when I had finished my PhD. um, But when I joined the National Centre for Immunisation Research out at Westmead, that was the first time that I sought out a mentor and it was the scariest thing I've ever done. I think I wrote the email maybe 20 times before I pressed send And um, I'd never met the person before. And you know what? Um, They didn't reply back at first. And of course, I had that narrative that, oh, well, you know, I'll just ignore it. It's because I'm not good enough and they don't even know who I am. But someone said, I'll just do one follow-up email. And they replied and said, oh, thank you. I was so busy. I was meant to reply back. And and they mentored me for quite a a long time. Um, And they really changed my perspective on things and also gave me the confidence to talk out if I wasn't happy. Um, and it was actually a game changer for my career.
1: I'm going to wear a naive hat here. The way you put it is quite easy. Um, yes. You know, it, um, equity, diversity, it's good for everyone. So why today is 2020. Why are we still not there?
0: we are, got to think about it as well, that we are dealing with how many years of entrenched behavior and culture and thinking not just within science but within society so Mm. I think anyone who knows um what what changing big concepts on wicked problems and changing attitudes to them I would love to say it would happen overnight but it's it's ingrained in all of us in in many ways I still um you know, say the wrong things and, and note my own bias um, a lot of the times and it's only because of my awareness that now that I can check it and say actually, you know, where is that thinking come from? How am I cultured to think like this? So, you know, changing culture is not something that happens overnight um, and I wouldn't expect it to. Um, but I, like you said, I'm a good cop and I'm, I, I am less doom and gloom about it because I see the momentum that's happened and I know at least within my own you know, six degrees of separation. I see that change. I know that's not with everyone, and there's pockets where there's been no change. But there are so many people, male and female, who are now having the good fight that I can't. And that's across all sectors. That I can't not see it changing. But we need to ramp it up. And so the one thing that we don't want is complacency. To see, oh, things are moving in in the right direction, so that is enough. And so. You know your your point is you know why 2020 why hasn't it changed? I think we still need to keep we still need to keep asking that question so that mo- the momentum continues and uh, at a rapid pace. But you know the good cop in me and the person who tries to, to, to get it you know there's a, it's a big shift and we're asking for a big shift. But the shift is happening and the shift will happen. But let's speed it up.
1: So you do a lot of. Good work with organisations, and you, you you mentioned the George Institute. Uh, I know you do work with other research institutes and universities. For the individuals, the, the listeners, what can I do personally to help the change?
0: Oh my gosh, the fact that you even ask is probably <laughs> the first step that a lot of people, you know, n- need to say, and um, a lot and a- and many want to do good and feel like they're doing good but probably haven't gone and actually spoken to their diversity and inclusion rep or maybe spoken to a junior colleague who's maybe female and actually asked them you know quite often i hear people say oh i'm a champion for diversity and inclusion um and then um, I've had a really good experience recently where I spoke to someone who wanted some feedback from me on how they can support diversity and inclusion um, in one of their activities and they spoke for 50 minutes of our one hour conversation and I, I didn't even get an, I tried to speak but they did, weren't really wanting to listen to me, they had the solutions. And so the fact that you ask hopefully means that it would empower others to ask that of those that they might want to support and so if you have a PhD student who is a female um, and they might be taking a career break what can I do to support you during this time? If you have a board that is all or predominantly male or male and female that may be all um, person from an Anglo-Saxon background you know raise it and say what can I do or what can we do to change this so um, not thinking you have all the answers and feeling brave enough to ask the question I think um, is the first thing that many can do and then once they get the answer really listening and I think that's the hard part.
1: Can I do anything bad or you know do I have to learn where do I learn and where do I learn what to do?
0: You know, and you know, that's a, that's a real <laughs> challenge because, um, the, There's so many conversations um, and it's the practical doing that I think what makes a difference. And that's what Franklin Women has tried to fill a void and a number of organisations are doing that now themselves. So speaking to your organisation to see if they offer any training courses. So a wonderful, um, I know the Centenary Institute who's a Franklin Women academic partner, just as part of their general recruitment um, process is all staff undergo unconscious bias training, that's something that they've developed themselves because um, that's right for their organisation. And that just gives somebody the aha moment that unconscious bias is a thing and some real practical tips on what maybe you could do about how you hire people or maybe how you select people um, to present at a conference or to join your team um, or to collaborate with you. And um, so, there's practical things that exist. It's just maybe like what you're saying is asking the questions around you to find out where you can go to learn, like you say. So, Franklin Women has our mentoring program and our our mentors um, don't just, they're males and women, and they don't just mentor their mentee. They actually go through a structured six-month facilitated uh, training program with uh, leadership consultants who are experts in inclusive leadership outside of our sector and we've worked with them for a couple of years before we launched the program so that they get the nuances of our sector and and they actually train the the leaders in our sector on how to mentor others but also opened up their eyes to what is this diversity and inclusion conversation and how they can be make um a more inclusive workplace and so there are opportunities out there You've just got to have a look and be open to protecting some time to maybe take part in them.
1: Melina, I know I've taken quite a lot of your time. I I would like to think that this is just the beginning. I mean, it's like, you know, you're opening little doors. I hope people are starting to have these ha-ha moments. Oh, yeah, this is maybe not that hard. Maybe I can contribute. I just want to thank you very, very much for your time, and I'd like to hope maybe we can somehow continue the conversation.
0: Oh, I would love that. Let's do it again in a year and see if the progress is as optimistic as I think it's been. But, you know, I'm really heartened. And the fact that you've made this a priority conversation as part of your research for what podcast means that, um, you know, it's spreading the word and there's a few more people who can have their aha moment, then I'm happy.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Melina. And I'm sure my listeners will, um, you know, have found that conversation very useful. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Take care.
1: Thank you everyone for listening to Research for What. To connect and find more information about this episode, check out researchforwhat.com. Until next week.
0: Research for What.